Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Call me Mr. Big Chest. Big Chest for now. Big Chest Brown for now on. Don't even call me AB. Just call me Big Chest. Yeah, Mr. Big Chest. You know, I was I was gonna fight calling Antonio Brown Mr. Big Chest as he so requested of us a month or two back. Uh, but now I think I've got no choice but to take him up on that offer because I'm kind of scared of Antonio Brown. He might be legitimately batshit crazy. He doesn't know what to do with himself. And no matter how much he tries to cloak himself in some kind of motivational, inspirational image, he ain't that. Because if there's one thing we've known about Antonio Brown over the past couple years, man, for one of the best talents that there's been at wide receiver, he is desperately insecure. In so much that a guy in Juju Smith-Schuster, who apparently has never given him given Antonio Brown anything but respect, admiration, given him his due and given him his credit, Antonio Brown just can't let it go. Some Steelers fan was reaching out or kind of poking at Antonio Brown this weekend and sent Antonio a picture of Juju Smith-Schuster as the most valuable player of the Steelers last year. Um, but, yeah, like, I, probably not what he should have been. Antonio Brown was the MVP of the Steelers last year, but we knew he wasn't going to win that award after everything that went down. So instead of responding to this fan individually or saying something about it, Antonio Brown – has to go ahead and say this. Emotion. Boy fumbled the whole postseason, talking about Juju Smith-Schuster, in the biggest game of the year. Everyone went blind to busy, making guys famous. Not enough reality these days. By the way, check the list. Check the list. I'm guessing he just means check the stats and Antonio Brown stats versus Juju Smith-Schuster's. This is incredibly ironic. Just because, yes, Juju Smith-Schuster had a bad fumble in that game. It was his fault. He apologized to people for it. Um, but Antonio Brown didn't even play in that game. That was the game that Antonio Brown missed because he'd gone MIA during the week and Mike Tomlin had to suspend him for the game. Uh, it just It's just astounding the lack of self-awareness of this guy in Antonio Brown and the fact that he's still obsessed with his ex-team that he wanted desperately off of to the point where he calls out Juju Smith-Schuster, which is, okay, this is one thing. Antonio Smith at this point is just establishing that he's an asshole, right? We can say that. He's an asshole. It might be 
somewhat true what he's saying about Juju Smith-Schuster costing the Steelers that game. Antonio Brown is a better player than Juju Smith-Schuster. Even though their stats are the same, Antonio Brown gets double teamed to an incredible degree more than Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju Smith-Schuster has been the recipient of all the attention that Antonio Brown is getting. No harm in that. The kid's a young stud. He's going to keep developing. He's just, right this moment, no Antonio Brown. But this is where two things can be true. Antonio Brown can be making an honest statement about Juju Smith-Schuster, yet at the same time be an a-hole for saying it because there's no reason to attack Juju Smith-Schuster. Juju Smith-Schuster, as you can imagine, was kind of upset about all of this He tweeted out, all I ever did was show the man love and respect from the moment I got to the league. I was genuinely happy for him, too, when he got traded to Oakland with a big contract. And now he takes shots at me on social media. Crazy how big that ego to be to take shots at people who show you love! Exclamation point, SMH. And then a picture, a quote from Mark Twain that said, never argue with a fool. Onlookers may not be able to tell the difference. Mark Twain. So... That's all well and good. Uh, Not all that good or all that well, actually. But you'd think, okay, it was over by Sunday. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Come Monday, this is where Antonio Brown shows his real wacky side. This is where he, he just might not be in touch with reality whatsoever. Somehow, Antonio Brown thinks that he is taking a shot or having a mic drop moment because he actually tweeted a mic saying, on to the next. Um, or excuse me, on Instagram to a mic and said on to the next, where he he takes a photo of Juju Smith-Schuster, a DM that Juju Smith-Schuster had sent Antonio Brown when he was in college. And this is what it says. What's up, AB? I'm a receiver at the University of, of Southern California. I appreciate all your work. You're a great man on and off the field. Do you have any tips that can help take my game to the next level? Thanks, man. And... I, and then I'm lost. I don't. I don't know what's going on here. Antonio Brown thinks this is a mic drop moment. He's looking four times, five times, ten times pettier than he already did, and somehow he thinks this is a mic drop moment. I can only imagine just because he's trying to prove something to Steelers fans that he's better than Juju Smith Schuster. And I, I don't know what to say at this point, other than that any Raiders fan supporting Antonio Brown in this is delusional to an extreme degree. And what you need to do is start worrying a lot about what this dude's going to do to affect your locker room, your team, and most importantly, your quarterback. Whether that quarterback be Derek Carr or Kyler Murray or anybody else, this is not the way to conduct yourself uh, with, with teammates, with former teammates. And it would be one thing if he was talking smack about a teammate after he left a team, which still wouldn't be pretty or advisable, but might be somewhat understandable. But now you can see the depths of his delusion and how he probably acted when he was with the Steelers. I don't like making excuses for Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin could probably handle a lot of situations on the Steelers a lot better than he, does, or, than he is or has. Uh, ben Roethlisberger doesn't escape scrutiny either in any of this, but Antonio Brown, wow, what a mess. Anyway, I'm just glad. I'm glad that I don't have to deal with Antonio Brown. I'm not going to work for the Raiders anytime soon. I will be talking to a guy soon that I'm actually really excited about. Most of you won't know who he is. His name's Brian Peters. He's been a linebacker for the Texans for the past several years, Uh, but this is why I want to talk to him. The ketogenic diet is huge these days. A lot of people 
know about it. It's a very low-carb diet where your body preferentially burns fat. It's all the rage with all the soccer moms and the bodybuilders and whatnot. Um, when athletes try it, it's usually met with uh, failure. But um, because it's it's a huge adjustment to make. So when guys like football players or real high intensity athletes try to do it like by the letter of the law, it's really, really hard. Brian Peters has probably been the most disciplined ketogenic slash paleo slash however you want to phrase or call it diet guy um, amongst professional athletes that I've come across. So I'm going to interview him tomorrow. I'm actually really excited about this and we'll geek out on some of the nutritional stuff. As somebody who has failed on keto, maybe I would say conservatively five times where I'll try it and I'll be going along really well. And then I'll try to start working out and my life falls apart. Uh, I'm really intrigued to find out how Brian Peters pulls this off. Really interesting guy. So we'll have that out tomorrow or Wednesday. And another guy that I'll be talking to sometime in the next couple of weeks is Tyler Dunn, who wrote the article for the Bleacher Report last week about Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy and a little bit of Ted Thompson, the former GM of the Packers, and just generally about why the Packers have arguably underachieved during the time that Aaron Rodgers has been there, that uh, as many teammates from that era have said they should have multiple Super Bowl rings and yet they don't. What happened? What went wrong? What led up to everything last year that turned into the big flaming pile of a mess that was the relationship between Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers? It's a really good read. If you haven't read it yet, read it now so you'll know more about what I'm talking about when I interview him. But just to just to recap a couple highlights from this story. And I'll read directly from the article. This is a quote from Ryan Grant, who was, as you'll recall, the starting running back for the Packers from 2000 to 2012. Ryan says that it was bad from the beginning with Aaron Rodgers because, if you'll recall, Mike McCarthy was the offensive coordinator with the 49ers when the 49ers drafted Alex Smith. Alex Smith going first overall in the draft in which Aaron Rodgers slid, slid, slid in the first round. There are all kinds of shots of a young Aaron Rodgers with a weird soul patch um, looking awful, awful miserable. And apparently he never forgave him for that. Quote, the guy who ended up becoming your coach passed on you when you had a chance. Aaron was upset that Mike passed on him, that Mike actually verbally said that Alex Smith was a better quarterback. Unquote. And one of the other reports, one of the uh, one of the unnamed sources in this article says that Aaron would tell him that McCarthy frequently called the wrong play, that he used the wrong personnel, that they were running plays that worked one out of 50 times in practice, that McCarthy was a buffoon he was constantly bailing out. Quote, Mike has a low football IQ, and that used to always bother Aaron, unquote. And then he also went on to say he'd say Mike has one of the lowest IQs if not the lowest IQ of any coach he's ever had, unquote. And this this uh, this can be a problem when your quarterback doesn't respect the intelligence of your offensive coordinator, your play caller, and your head coach. And I have always wondered, and this has been the big question with the Packers, their relatively simple offense by today's NFL standards, man, when they had – Greg Jennings and a bunch of studs there and Jordy Nelson in his prime, um, it sure seemed to work. And when you had guys that could get open on their own, 
the relatively simple route concepts, the lack of pre-snap motion, all of these things, the, the predictability didn't really matter when guys were that fast. And I've always wondered, okay, how much of it as they started to lose some of these receivers, as they started to lose some of this talent, um, how much of it was on Mike McCarthy that they didn't get more advanced versus the fact that they had to work with all this young personnel, all these first, second, third-year wide receivers? Because the Packers, remember, up until recently, they didn't like signing free agents. So when the old guys leave and the old guys retire, the old guys uh, get, get plucked off in free agency, you're trying to replace them with younger guys. It's hard to do anything all that complex with younger guys. You read this article and it seems a whole lot like it was on McCarthy for not getting it implemented. Just the lack of respect that Aaron Rodgers had for Mike McCarthy. It's it's really somewhat shocking. But then you compound on top of this the fact that Aaron Rodgers was going to run whatever the hell he wanted to run any uh, whatever whatever Mike McCarthy called in and I, I kept vacillating between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy for who was more to blame in this offense. Because you can blame Mike McCarthy for not having a complex enough offense, but then you read all these stories about how Aaron Rodgers by last year was changing as many as one out of three plays that were sent to the huddle. That Aaron Rodgers wasn't throwing the easy money passes underneath. He was checking out of runs. He was doing all these things that are designed to help set up a complete offense, an offense that can attack every area of the field. And Aaron and Rodgers has always had that brilliant ability to extend plays and throw downfield where sometimes, you know what, it's better to use the old cliche, you can't go broke taking a profit. Aaron Rodgers is choose that old cliche and how much of that hampered Mike McCarthy to the point where maybe he just kind of checked out on all of it. Um, and as Tyler Dunn writes in the article, the problem for McCarthy was that as the talent drained, he failed to innovate. His scheme went stale and he didn't adapt. As one personnel man puts it, McCarthy got, quote, full of his own juice, unquote. He believed his system, not the Packers' absurd amount of talent, was the foundation for the offensive success. And again, I don't know how much of that was on McCarthy. I don't know how much of that was on Aaron Rodgers. Neither of these guys come out looking really awesome here. Mike McCarthy comes off as... I want to say a buffoon just because that was the actual word that was used, um, but also is a guy that didn't necessarily have great control over his team uh, or a feel for the people on his team. As a former defensive player, the story that really pissed me off in here was that according to the article and according to a couple sources in the article, defensive players always had to run to the offense in the drills and practice. If you can think, if you can envision an NFL practice field, usually you have two, sometimes three full-size practice fields. Um, or even if you're just practicing on one field, the offense will be overdoing their thing, their individual work, running through their plays, their scripts. The defense will be over on the other side of a field or a completely different field, you know, over 100 yards away. The horn blows, and then usually the drill is set up somewhere, and you'll alternate because that's the right thing to do. Apparently, in Mike McCarthy's world, the offense was so important and paramount that the defense always had to sprint over to where the offense is. That chaps my ass. That's just BS. Uh, and it just goes to show you how little McCarthy probably really genuinely understood a football team. And then the money story. The story that Mike McCarthy has vigorously denied, and I frankly have a hard time believing 
except that I kind of can see how this stuff happens. I never played for a coach who wasn't completely dialed in all the time. I played for Tom Coughlin. I played for Dom Capers. I played for Gary Kubiak in the NFL. Those are all the head coaches. Those guys were all the consummate professionals. I can't imagine any of them ever doing what Mike McCarthy is alleged to have done right here, what I'm about to tell you. Um, But I've heard stories about other places, especially when things go south, about coaches checking out. And I know that this kind of thing could happen at other places. But this is is from the story here. Here's Tyler Dunnigan. About once a week, a meeting would start up, and McCarthy was MIA. Players weren't quite sure where he was while, for example, an assistant coach would run the team's final prep on the Saturday before a game. Eventually... (laughs) Word leaked that McCarthy, the one calling plays on game day, was up in his office getting a massage during those meetings. One player had the same massage therapist, and she let it slip that McCarthy would sneak her up a back stairway to his office while the rest of the team prepared for that week's opponent. And and players would uh, wonder what, what the heck's going on here. Now, to be fair, this, uh, this was not alleged to have been a Robert Kraft type of massage situation. McCarthy apparently had some kind of a back issue, and he was getting, uh, he was getting a massage therapist, a very professional massage therapist who worked on other players and knew what she was doing as a sports like a, a sports massage therapist um but it's still clearly and obviously if that's true not a good look for a football coach uh in terms of to the public to the private to the players all of that there is there's one possibility in here that Tyler Dunn points out and it's where somebody wondered whether Aaron Rodgers Rodgers himself or somebody else that was out to get McCarthy might have started this rumor and then it goes around and and then it almost becomes a matter of perception as reality if this if McCarthy actually wasn't in meetings and there wasn't an excuse for it, it almost doesn't matter what the purpose or reason is for it anyway. It's so rare. I, I for the life of me, I, I played in the NFL for a little over 10 years. I can't remember a head coach ever not being there except for in extreme situations where everybody knew what was going on. Like his father uh, might be deathly ill um, or, or he's had some kind of personal tragedy. Uh, but other than that, I, I want to say after 9-11 – Tom Coughlin might have missed a meeting because one of his sons was in one of the towers. He got out safely, but uh, as, you, as you can imagine, it was a, a, there was a lot going on. And I want to say he might have missed a meeting there, but that was obviously and clearly an excusable <laughs> reason and, and one that everybody knew about. So that's a pretty alarming story. And if Mike McCarthy got fired over that and, and behavior like that, and then had the temerity to say that he wasn't fired the right way with four games less last year. I've got zero sympathy for him. Now, Aaron Rodgers did not come out of this smelling like a rose either. And when it comes to interpersonal relationships, a lot of the stories in this article make a lot of sense if you think about the fact that he just cut his family off completely all of a sudden a few years back, and, and people wanted to blame Olivia Munn, his girlfriend. It, it makes a lot more sense when you read some of the anecdotes in here. In the story, quote, one person who used to be close to the quarterback but has since been cut out of his life describes Rodgers as forever conflict-averse, as passive-aggressive to the extreme, as someone who'd rather stuff problems deep, deep down inside of him and pretend there's no issue rather than communicate those issues and strengthen relationships like the one with his coach, unquote. And it's interesting because as I read that, 
I, I kind of wonder, okay, how many how many guys do I know when it comes to interpersonal relationships that are exactly like that? It's kind of a classic guy trait, isn't it? If you're talking about interpersonal relationships, sometimes uh, guys would rather stuff things deep inside them and never talk about it again. But I think when it comes to the point of actually having productive conflict on a football team with a coach – arguments, disagreements, those things can be very, very productive. I remember uh, Brian Billick talking about how he and Ozzie Newsom used to have scrimmages, that they would have uh, a healthy amount of dysfunction in their relationship. And and that's another thing I've heard out of people in the Ravens organization, a healthy amount of dysfunction, that you got to be able to butt heads, argue about things, and then move past it. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you hash these things out. You can imagine after years and years and years of this festering and festering and festering that Aaron Rodgers not addressing some of his problems with McCarthy just finally boiled over and erupted. I think one of the other players in here who doesn't mind being named is Greg Jennings, and I'll give Greg Jennings uh, props for that. He and Ryan Grant didn't hide behind anonymity here. Um, But Greg Jennings, obviously, very, very good football player, for the Packers tells this story that mid-game Greg Jennings was uh, in the middle of a timeout. The Packers were hosting the 49ers in 2012, and cornerback Carlos Rogers playfully asked Jennings why he was running so many short routes. Jennings said, you know how it is, contract year. That's when Rogers stepped in to say, you guys should get him at the end of the year. Uh, Jennings walked back to the huddle speechless. And and there are all kinds of stories in here about Aaron Rodgers just flat out at times cutting players off, not having a deft touch with players, singling out rookies that otherwise scouts liked or coaches liked and, and putting them in his own doghouse. But I highly encourage you to read the article. I'm imagining Packers fans are upset about this. And I would understand that. I get that. It's... They might think it reads like a smear job. I don't think it does at all. And I think Tyler Dunn actually covered – I don't know if he was a Packers fan or not, but he covered the Packers for a long time, and he's never struck me as that kind of a jo- uh, kind of a guy that would just pull a smear job as a paper. This is pretty well-researched. And he got, a, he got several people to speak on the record um, pretty openly and honestly, and that was really interesting. But you get a, you get a really interesting portrait of – Aaron Rodgers and how complex he is because he's that classic, that guy that puts a chip on his shoulder and uses it for motivation and it drives him and it's probably productive up to a certain extent. But there's that critical question of just how big a chip on your shoulder should you have that at some point the weight of that chip becomes oppressive to the point where you can't ignore it and you're obsessing over that chip on your shoulder all the time and you very much get an image of Aaron Rodgers like a guy who's obsessed with that chip on his shoulder I actually for for all his faults that are outlined in this article I actually feel bad for him um in, in, in a way that a lot of really highly driven highly successful people you know that they're also haunted by demons that drive them and probably aren't actually all that happy inside. Not to get too psychoanalytical here, um, but I feel bad for him from those respects. So check that out. It's Tyler Dunn on the Bleacher Report. I'll tweet out a link to it. You can follow me on Twitter, at Seth C. Payne. Another tortured soul is one Jonathan Manziel. Uh, I'll, I'll call him Jonathan for now because I read the article earlier that said that he doesn't want to be called Johnny anymore. I think he's going strictly by John. John uh, Manziel, who had been employed by, by the Arena Football, excuse me, the Alliance for American Football, the Alliance, AAF, uh, before the Alliance failed last week. We haven't, we haven't talked since the Alliance failed. 
Um, but uh, he actually got some good reports out of his coach out of there. And I, this is comeback season, what, three, four? I don't, I don't know where we are right now. And I, I would put the prediction out right now that John Manziel, despite the name change, probably isn't going to end up on a team anywhere. Now, the last little tidbit I want to hit today is fascinating to me. And especially considering that this is a story out of Texas Tech. Texas Tech's men's basketball team playing in the national championship game on Monday night. There was an article that came out on Monday in Time Magazine about how Texas Tech banned the cell phone on their basketball teams. Um, that uh, they, they, they didn't ban cell phones completely, but they decided that the nights before games, they were going to have a coach come around, round up all the cell phones, and keep them in a safe spot so all the guys would get to bed on time. They do it at a lot, about 11 p.m. at night. This is extra interesting because you'll remember that Cliff Kingsbury is the new coach of the Arizona Cardinals who came from Texas Tech, but Cliff Kingsbury, who wasn't all that successful as a coach at Texas Tech, has cell phone breaks for his players, and people are up in arms. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're giving cell phone breaks to these millennials and Generation Z folks. Uh, don't they need to know discipline? Don't they need to know hardship? Ah, blah, blah. Uh, Kingsbury's just trying to reach out to the younger folk and and administer to their needs, and they need to be on their smartphones. They've, they've grown up with the damn things. They're like an extra appendage for them. But that was Cliff Kingsbury, uh, hip, hip young coach from Texas Tech, now in the NFL. But Texas Tech basketball coach Chris Beard, who's been there for three years, is taking the cell phones away, albeit late at night. I don't know what he does. I, apparently at team meals, a lot of times he takes away the cell phones. And, and you hear some of these players talk about how – how it's kind of weird trying to fall asleep at night when you can't be on Twitter or staring at your phone. You just kind of have to stare at the ceiling and count to 10 and count backwards from 10. All these things that most people grew up having to do before the age of the smartphone. And it, look, is this the only reason or is this the reason Texas Tech has been to the Elite Eight last year and now the Final Four this year? I doubt it, but it's one little thing. And I was lucky enough to go to college and take psychology as a freshman with a professor who's one of the first big-time sleep researchers. So this was back in the 1990s, early 1990s, where most people, I think a lot of people still thought, hey, just drink some black coffee and get your five hours a night and just grind through it, and that's the path to success, um, where obviously they know a whole lot more about sleep now. And one, of the, one of the things that's been most impressive to me about younger athletes is how disciplined some of them are about their sleep. J.J. Watt especially uh, was, was one of the first guys to to get super, super psychotic and protective of his own sleep. And he's done all right. Obviously, there are a bunch of guys on the Astros here in town that are uh, very adamant about it. Justin Verlander, for one, very adamant about getting like 10 hours of sleep a night. But Texas Tech is doing this. Kudos to them. Uh, the, it's just it's astounding what these kids are putting their bodies through, not just athletes, but just kids in general, with the amount of sleep that they're missing out on. Because we all used to stay up late. We all used to have our hard time getting to bed at night. But it might be as we're watching old reruns on UHF television as we're falling asleep to the television. It's a completely different deal when you're staring at that smartphone and you got Blu-rays pulsing into your eyes and keeping your mind alert and agitated. Not to mention all the actual aggravation that they might be getting from being on social media or all that drama, the bullying that continues on and on. Um, not that I worry about these Texas Tech basketball players getting bullied, but just kids in general. If you can, if you can wrestle the phones out of your kids' hands, and I know this from, uh, from personal experience and from when my friends talk about just how 
astoundingly different their kids are when you get the phones out of their hands. Uh, it's just, it's one of the hardest things to handle in modern parenting because it's a part of their social life. It's, uh, it's ingrained in their social world. So you don't want to completely deprive them of it, but you got to teach them discipline in all this stuff. And I don't know if they'll ever win a national championship. I'm not promising that your kids will win a national championship if you make them be more disciplined with their phone, but it might make them a little bit happier. And it, and it might help with some of the skyrocketing mental health issues we're seeing, particularly suicide. So not to end on a down note or anything, So I'll answer on a positive note. We were just talking about Cliff Kingsbury, he of the Arizona Cardinals, he who might be drafting his love child, Kyler Murray. Uh, Josh Rosen, the current actual quarterback in the first-round pick last year for the Cardinals, is reporting to OTAs and off-season workouts despite all the rumors circulating around the Arizona Cardinals in the quarterback spot. Uh, I I would say I appreciate and respect the fact that Rosen is doing this. it's, it's a weird spot he finds himself in. You're the first-round pick on a team. And, and this is where I, I have a hard time with it. They tell you they want you to be a leader. They want you to step in that role and be comfortable. And that's hard for anybody. I, I don't care if you're an eighth-year quarterback, a ninth-year quarterback. If you go to a new situation, it's hard to just assimilate into that role of being a leader of that team. But it's especially hard for a rookie that didn't start at first last year and was on a bad team. And now I don't know what Josh Rosen does to gain the respect or, or, or I'd just say the credibility of those guys on that team when your GM and your head coach are just hemming and hawing about what your future is there for that team. I think by doing this, though, he's doing exactly the right thing in terms of at least helping a trade. He's being conducive to a trade actually happening. Daniel Jeremiah uh, made a good point about if Rosen gets traded to the Washington Redskins, that the Cardinals should really also try to make uh, Case Keenum a part of that trade to get Case Keenum back because Case Keenum played for Cliff Kingsbury. Case Keenum has learned a whole lot in the NFL. He's he's changed so much from when he was a young player with the Texans to where he is now. And I think ultimately he's got limited upside as a starting quarterback in the NFL, uh, but he's a hell of a guy, very intelligent, and is going to know a lot about Cliff Kingsbury and what makes his offense go. And also probably be a good resource – not just to to tutor Kyler Murray, because this all, of course, would be if they traded, if the Cardinals traded Josh Rosen, planning on drafting Kyler Murray. So you'd expect Case Keenum to be a tutor for Kyler Murray, but also help Cliff Kingsbury work his offense into the NFL. And Cliff Kingsbury spent a little time in the NFL and the CFL, so he's no virgin when it comes to the challenges that a college offense might have becoming an NFL. Plus, look, he did work with Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes made a pretty nice transition into the NFL, not as a rookie. He did it as a second-year player, but the learning curve wasn't as steep as I think a lot of people would have said it would have been a long time ago, where if they're saying, hey, you're going to take this Art Bryles or you're the spread or an air raid, whatever whatever version of the spread that you want to talk about, remember how impossible it was going to be for those quarterbacks to make it? Well, they seem to be doing a pretty good, da- uh, pretty damn good job of it now. So we will be talking keto with Brian Peters sometime in the next couple days. We'll start getting into draft talk and draft prep. I've got some draft nicks lined up for you. Everybody have a great rest of the week, and we'll see you soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 